I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere. You know, the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Good day, good people. This is Brad King. You are listening to the Downtown Writers Jam podcast. Very excited today to talk to Sarah Layden, who has a new novel coming out, a first novel coming out next year from Engine Books. As I've talked to people around town, several folks have said, like, you have to talk to Sarah, you have to talk to Sarah. We'd email back and forth. I tried to get her to the first jam. I think she was out of town. Um, she actually is the reason that um, the second jam is happening. I, I believe she was the one who introduced me to the folks at Curbside Splendor. And if you don't know, November 12th, Wednesday, November 12th at 6.30 p.m. at Indie Reads Books, the Downtown Writers Jam Volume 2 will be happening. We have... Everything locked, you can go to thegeekypress.com backslash events, and you will find out all the information about that. While you're there, you can sign up for our newsletter. It's a semi-regular newsletter of awesome shit that I send out whenever something interesting is happening. Coming up in the next few weeks, actually reading uh, meeting with the folks from uh, Indie Lit Pub Crawl. Once a year, they put on a big event. We're going to talk about how we might be able to work together. Because all we're doing at the Geeky Press and with the Downtown Riders Jam is trying to bring together the Indianapolis riding community. Not that they're not together already, but it's a pretty tight-knit group. But to really give us 
um, more things to do to celebrate literature and writing and writers and authors. I'm pretty jazzed today to talk to Sarah. Um, you know, like me, she's a professor and a writer. It's always exciting to hear people that are genuinely interested in um, the process of writing, sort of deconstructing why they've gone about doing what they've done. Um, and I, just everything I hear about her is that it is she was um, thoughtful in that way, which is good. I have a three-week stretch of travel and academic writing, which I could not care less about. Um, so it's good to connect with somebody uh, because after the 12th, after the Writer's Jam, um, I have essentially five weeks to start cranking on my own work. So I've started to get that itch, start to get in that mood where it's time to get the creative juices flowing, like the notes are happening, lots of cutting out, arranging things on the desk, trying to figure out what I'm going to say, set up interviews, get everything together, really want to bang part two out of So Far Appalachia, which is the upcoming forthcoming book of mine. Speaking of, uh, in December, the first week of December, uh, first Monday, uh, I'll be part of um, Word Lab down at Indie Reads Books. I think Barb... Shoop, who is the executive director of the Indianapolis or Indiana Writer Center, who was our first guest, I think she is reading the first Monday of November. So I'll be in the first Monday in December. Be reading a little bit from So Far Appalachia, so it'll be a work in progress. And then another piece I'm working on called The Summer of Run, which is about addiction. So, you know, getting in that that mindset, getting in that writer mindset, starting to put everything together and, and um, you know, start to move things out. So, there won't be a lot of ruminating today. We're going to leave that to Sarah and I. So, here's our conversation. All right, so as I have talked about um, the writer's jam, the little thing that I put on and doing this, uh-huh. I ask a lot of people, who should I talk to? And, like, your name continues to come up. Like, you were one wow. of the names that came up lots and lots. So I don't really know. I don't, yeah, I don't do a whole lot of research about things. Okay. So I, why? Why is your name coming up? Because your first book's getting ready to come out, My yeah? first book is coming out. It's coming out um, early next year yeah. in February. But I, I think that probably the main reason we keep hearing my name is because, um, you know, we were just talking about Sheryl Sandberg. But, you know, I um, I give people money and bribes. And I'm like, <laughs> if somebody asks you about, you know, who should you talk to, it's me. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think that I think that the writing community in Indianapolis is really great. Um, it's small but growing. Yeah. And the people who are... I have a list of 97 writers that 97? people have told me to talk to. No way. Yeah. All just from Indianapolis. That's fantastic. And the greater Indianapolis area. And people are very supportive. Yeah. They're very supportive. Um, you know, Barb Shue yeah. won here at the... Um, oh, my gosh. We're in the confines of the Indiana Writers Center in Broad River. IWC. Right I was going to say WCI because that's the old, the old way of doing things. But, uh, right. Right. And... Um, 
Yeah, so my book is coming out next year, yeah. and I think that, you know, it's a local publisher, too. It's Engine Books uh-huh. here in Indianapolis. Independent press, and people are excited about independent press. Yeah, right now. well, in a large part of what I'm doing, so the, the little thing that I run, the Kiki Press Collective mm-hmm. and the Writer's Jam, is all, I call it professionalized, or professional amateurism. Like, I pay mm-hmm. my ed- my editor of my book is the, and works at Outside mm-hmm. Magazine. Mm-hmm. The copy editor is a copy editor. Like, nothing is done for free. Yeah. Um, but I just don't have any interest in going with a big publishing house. Yeah. I've done that. It was not fun. Really? Okay. Yeah. They, the, the the marketing of the book was, re- like, weird and not right. And oh. so we were like, I don't ever want to go through that experience sure. again. And you have a lot of marketing experience right i mean i am a bullshitter so marketing yeah that is the 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 the, um the the king family marketing bullshit (laughs) is uh so uh uh you teach i do where i teach at iepui okay i'm a lecturer in the writing program so you have that awful experience of teaching as well (laughs) awful have you how long have you been doing it gosh i started teaching as a graduate teaching assistant at purdue so that was 2003 I was in grad school for three years. It was a three-year program. Yeah. So the appropriate amount of time, I feel like I should say. And then uh, I started adjuncting in 2006. So I've been at IEPUI for eight years as a part-time person and also Marion University. Uh-huh. And then this fall is my first semester. Uh, it's fall 2014. And you like it? As a full-timer. Yeah. Yes. I love it. I love teaching. I bring this up to people all the time. So David Foster Wallace said before he died, right? Yeah. So he said before he he you know he taught for a little while, yes. and he said the first three years were great because yes. he had to, he said this on Charlie Rose had to pull apart everything that I thought about writing and mm-hmm. explain it to people. Mm-hmm. And after the third year, I began to know week four is the week that you don't understand how <laughs> adverbs work. Right? The, the return on investment as a right. teacher went down because now you know here's what's going to happen. Right. This is my frustration with teaching, but you. That has not set in for you yet, or you just no. still enjoy the process of that? I really like the process of it. I really, um, it certainly is cyclical, and that can get boring yeah. and repetitive at times, but sometimes there's comfort in that cycle because, as somebody told me the other day, the semester always starts and it always ends. Yeah. And then it's over, and you get to start fresh. So yeah. if you mess things up one semester, you can do them new the right. next time. And I really like that aspect of it, and having new groups of people to work with all the time. Yeah. I teach a lot of freshmen right now. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, first-year students. Yeah, fresh people. Fresh people. (laughs) Um, And I love it. I mean, there are times when it's frustrating and times when I think to myself, oh, I already told them that. But the energy is amazing. Yeah. I taught middle school, and I felt that way about my eighth graders. Eighth grade was my favorite year. I'm terrified of middle school. They're the best. I'm afraid for my own own children to become middle school. They're little smelly hormonal people (laughs) that are smart enough to do things, still scared enough when you yell at them, and Mm -hmm. at the end of the day want you to hug them. Like, it's perfect. That's really Like, anything after that, they become awful humans, but that moment, right? I don't have kids. I I refer to my students as kids. They're like, they are my kids. Um, I mean, I've been doing this for nine years, so I don't hate it that much, but it is a sort of constant, Yeah. Um, I feel like Mr. Holland, right? Like you have that Mr. Right. Holland's opus thing where you're like, I'll write in the summer. Like because you'll write you'd rather in the summer. be writing. Yeah. Teaching. Wouldn't you? I like both. Yeah. I like having a balance. Yeah, I was just having this conversation. So if you had a million dollars, if, you, if your book hits big, you're going to say, you're going to be that lottery winner that says, I'll be at work on Monday. <laughs> With my shoes shine, right. a little bow in I don't even hair. need a salary anymore. I'll yeah. just do this right. for a dollar. Free. <laughs> yeah. No. Honestly, well, it's funny because I adjuncted for so long, yeah. and that's not an ideal existence for anybody. No, I apologize for my folks. 
for your folks. I'm a tenure track. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, <laughs> you should apologize for your folks. We do have folks who support adjunct, yeah. you know, tenure track people yeah. who support adjunct faculty. But it's a hard life. It's a hard life, yeah. and it's hard scrabble, and you just have to, you know, semester to semester, yeah. hope that you get work. Yeah, and it's from not, four universities. Yeah, and it's not a good long term situation. And so I'm in a much more secure position yeah. now, which feels great. Yeah. And so I'm still in the honeymoon phase, yeah. you know, like I've got stacks of papers in my car, and I'm like, oh, I love these guys. Yeah. I love these students. Um, you know, talk to me in December, but right. But you know, if I if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars and you know could write full time, would I want to write full time? I don't know. I think that the ideal situation would be writing and being an adjunct. Yeah, really. But like, like I would do like freedom. a graduate seminar, right? Mm-hmm. Like nine students. Yeah. That I could like you yeah. know spend yeah. a year yeah. on your thing. That would be awesome. David Remnick came to Berkeley when I was there, and uh, the New Yorker editor, and he talked about like, oh, we spent eighteen months on. Teacher, and we were. I worked at Wired with Connie Nast, sister yeah, publication, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I just laughed like Malcolm Gladwell works for eighteen months on feature exactly. story. Like people exactly. that are living day to day work yeah. three weeks on a feature story, right. and we got four of them. Right. right. And I should be clear too when I say that adjuncting is an ideal thing to do if you're a writer. Um, that's only if money is not right. a factor, and money's a factor for almost everybody. Right. So, um, so where'd you grow up? Are you from here? Yeah, more or less. Um, I was born in Milwaukee. Uh-huh. Uh, my dad worked for Schlitz mm-hmm. for a number of years. He was an engineer for Schlitz. And then we moved around a little bit. Illinois. What did your mom do? Briefly, California. Uh, my mom was a social worker and an English teacher. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. a parish uh, secretary. And that's what she retired from, was parish secretary. Glutton. Here in Indianapolis. I, that sounds like the easiest of the three. I think it mm, was not. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think she really enjoyed it because it's you know the church that she's yeah. still a part of that they're still a part of, um, and I went to grade school there at St. Lawrence on the yeah. east side, and I was married there. It's it's a really nice place. Um, so you in you Milwaukee deal with lots of problems as yeah. parish secretary. So. so Milwaukee, and then you said you moved to California uh-huh. briefly for like three months, and then here, and then Illinois. Uh-huh. No, wait, I'm sorry, Milwaukee, Illinois, California for three months, back to Illinois, and then Indiana when I was nine. Why? Why was what? Why all the moving? Uh, the California thing. My dad had a long term assignment, so it was all through Schlitz. So he took us all. No, no, he worked for a bunch of different yeah. companies. He worked for Roper. He worked for A.O. Smith. Uh huh. Um, were you always a writer? Was that like were you like the kid that read and kept notebooks? I always and... read. Yeah, and I, I was just telling somebody this not too long ago, but I think the move to Indianapolis when I was nine. Uh-huh. That was nineteen eighty four. Same year the Colts came to Indianapolis. <laughs> um, but that was really when I started writing because I was trying to process that experience. Mm-hmm. Leaving was, your friends. Yeah, starting leaving friends. You have brothers and starting sisters? Starting new. I have one sister. Older or younger? Older. So Yeah, two and a half years older. So the two of you, were you close? Uh-huh. Yeah, we still are. So you guys, like, had your thing. You moved here. Right. But you needed your own process time. Right. Exactly. And I had this little, you know, red diary, leather, with a lock on <laughs> With a lock, right? Yeah. With a little yeah. fold over. Where the key yeah. disappeared within, you know, right. months. But, uh, <laughs> and I look back on it, and most of it's in pencil, so you can't right. read it anymore. It's like the worst artifact Puzzled ever. over. Yeah, like tissue yeah. paper, thin paper, <laughs> pages. and uh, Angsty nine-year-old, why did so we move? So angsty, and I'm so mad at my sister. Yeah. And, like, misspellings. I was always talking about how I, I faked things, but I would spell faked wrong. So, on purpose? No. No. <laughs> no, that was accidental. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just interesting. Like, when I go back and read it, I was like, wow, I was a big faker about a lot of things. And I think it was because 
Um, I mean, I think that there's always been this inclination in me for fiction. Yeah. Um, to kind of play roles. Yeah, yeah. To think about, well, what does it mean if I, if I pretend? It's really interesting because I ask, this is a question that I ask everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, why? Because I do nonfiction. Okay. And I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I have wow. told people for years, like from the time I was young, like I used to write fiction, but it always felt fake to me. Really? And as I got old, I mean, obviously it's fake, but like it what? just didn't feel yeah. like my authentic thing. Sure. And so as my life descended into this sort of addictive thing that is all made up, right? Like that is just a bunch of bullshit that you sort of construct and that the addiction. only th huh? addiction, yeah. okay. that the only thing that I ever held as true in my life was my writing, which was nonfiction. I told every, everything else you can't believe, but that you could. Wow. And then I talked to people that I, who, who are fiction and they all like, not always, but many of them come from like, they have a different background and yeah. a different kind of experience. So yeah. were yeah. your parents supportive of the writing? Like, was it, a, were you close? Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that they were always very, um, Congratulatory, mm -hmm. but not over the top. Yeah, yeah. Not in a. You know, but like, like there wasn't any damage at the house like, that you were like, I need to escape into the no, Narnia. No, <laughs> right? Nothing like that. Nothing like that. I I was very lucky. Yeah. And I grew up in a great family and really supportive parents. And the the thing that they did that probably fostered my writing the most was they left me alone. Yeah. I mean, they just let me do my thing. Ah, uh, the 70s and 80s. Yes. Right? My husband and I sort of aspired to that. We're like, we're just going to do some 70s parenting yeah. right now and assume the kids are okay in yeah. the room. Um, so while they're little, they don't want to die. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, like, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. No, but it, I mean, it was a very safe space. Yeah. And I'm sure my parents knew more than I think they knew. I mean, I would hope. They always do. But yeah. in my mind, it was like, I could just kind of go off yeah. and do what I wanted and nobody was going to be. On yeah. top of me about it. It's really, it's fascinating. Like, yeah. I I have books of everything that I ever wrote from the time I was in seventh grade cool. filed in order. Oh, my gosh. With notes to the graduate students who would be studying me later on. Wow. From the time I was, like, in seventh grade. So you were aware of your audience. You were, uh, you're yeah. sort of like a, a proto-archaeologist. Yeah, yeah. You were planting the artifacts. It was, yeah, I was, like, uh, <laughs> I was doing an ethnography on myself, yeah. right? Of, yeah. Um, because the thing that always pissed me off was... Sitting in classes and people are like, what do you think the author meant? I'm yeah. like, well, what, what, what did the author you. say? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm pretty sure that's what the author meant, right? And so I was really concerned that my writing would be misconstrued as yeah. like my angsty 12-year-old bullshit. No, I don't think that's bullshit at all. I think that it comes, I mean, I don't know, you can right. tell me where did it come from right. for you, but that comes out of wanting to be understood. Right. You know, like fear that you won't be. And right. So you, you're like, let me set the record straight. So when you were writing in, in, in that, did you think, like, I'm going to be a writer, I want to be a, something, or were you just doing it because you escaped into it? I don't know. I think it took me a long time to make the connection, like, I want to be a writer. Yeah. It was sort you of can a, be. Like, that's the back thing. of my brain. Yeah. I always had these very, um, I mean, I, I think of them as outlandish now because I realized I had no preparation for any of these <laughs> things, but I wanted to, I wanted to be an archaeologist or an actor or um, an astronaut. Yeah, yeah. But, me you know, too. I can barely multiply. I can't do right. the times tables. You know, like I'm not yeah. going into space anytime right. soon. I'm not That was not on the list of things that was going to happen. So, but but I liked the I liked the dreamy exploratory quality yeah, of yeah. those things. Yeah. And so um, for me, I think writing eventually took over. You know, you can still 
can kind of act as an actor. You can explore. Yeah, yeah. You can be an astronaut or an archaeologist. Was it just writing? Did you do theater? Did you do... I tried. I tried. Um, in high school, I was... What was my role? I was in our town as a freshman. Uh -huh. I was dead person number one. Awesome. In the cemetery. And this actually came up the other day where somebody said something that reminded me of one of my lines. Oh, not that someone like, I saw you and I was doing no, like that. God. Come no, but it, somebody <laughs> remarked on the weather and I was like, oh my gosh, that was the line I had in our town. You want to hear it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's my line. Little cooler than it was. <laughs> that was your that that's was your it. one and only stage that's thing. That's what that's what the ghosts in the cemetery were talking about. Yeah. They were talking about the freaking weather. Uh -huh. It's like that's the afterlife. Yeah, come on. Well, that, you know what he said. They're in heaven. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like, that's, that's the twilight zone, right? Like it's the uh, the criminal who wakes up in in the yeah. in Vegas and he wins yeah. everything and he gets all the women and he's like, well, this isn't heaven. And the guy at the end was like, no, no who told you that it was? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, the twilight zone. yeah. You know, Rob Turner from Ohio did a lot of his writing at um, Antioch. Really? That's yeah. cool. There's that's a, gr cool. a great um, biography on him. He was fascinating. Like, he wrote the, all, like, all the Twilight Zones. He wrote all the night shifts. Yeah. Um, he just, like, was the most prolific. He was, like, as moth in his prolificness. That's cool. He wrote hundreds and hundreds of teleplays and books. Just yeah. amazing. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, you watch it now. I mean, I'm a big, I know this is diverging, but, like, it's I okay. grew up watching that. I love yeah. that stuff. I've Even only seen the, a handful. I haven't seen them. The yeah. twists are so cheesy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what makes them good. Yeah. But I, I, w I wish that I could have experienced them in, like, 1968 mm -hmm. when science fiction was just kind of happening and it yeah. wasn't a thing that everybody knew. Because I grew yeah. up reading that. And yeah. to be like, oh, yeah. shit. Like, Do you like Bradbury? In hell. <laughs> you should see the facial expression right now. I mean, he's like, you know, I like the Martian Chronicles. and yeah. um, But, I, yeah. I, you know, I feel... I'm an Asimov guy. Oh, okay, yeah. Because I was, I'm a yeah, science well. person. So, like, he was a scientist, so. My dad had a ton of his paperbacks. Oh, yeah. So the Foundation them. series is the greatest science fiction series yeah. ever written. Yeah, yeah, um, But I also teach a lot of his nonfiction stuff in my classes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wrote some, like, 210 books. Right. And his wife was a writer. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, okay. and, uh, you know, I read Asimov, Astounding, and Asimov Science Fiction, and mm -hmm. like, he's just great. Mm -hmm. So what what were you reading, what, what, like, when you were oh young? Oh, my gosh. At I, that time, this formative time. I was reading a lot of things. Can I, I have to tell you about the rest of my theater. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so there, there was brief. more than just it's our town. Brief. Yeah, I tried out uh, for two musicals in high school and was cut from both. Yeah. Um, could you guess what they might be? I went to high school in the 90s. Early 90s. I have no idea. No idea. I would have all, I always say West Side Story. Yes! Life. West Side Story? Yeah. It was one of them. Uh, Chicago. No, Greece. Oh, Greece, yeah, yeah. Good we yeah. just watched that the other day. Oh, nice. Very good. Oh, uh, so, you know, I think that sometimes. What did you try out for? Well, in Greece. Oh, anything. I oh. was like, give me anything, and I got nothing. Rizzo's my wife's favorite. Really? Yeah. I like Rizzo. Every time she's on. Uh, yeah, I feel like she was like the proto feminist. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, right. yeah, I'm pregnant, whatever. I don't need a man. Like, I don't want to get married. Like, you're a bastard. I'll do what I want. Right? Like, it was just like there was no bullshit from her. Well, but she cared deep down in She did. That's what I mean. She's the proto feminist, corner, right? Yeah. Like, right, she. Right. Like, yeah. is going to do this on her own, despite sure. what anybody sure. says. But sure. she is, you know, sure. would like to be loved. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but doesn't need to be. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But, you know, I think that it was it was one of those, like, trial and, not trial and error. Yeah. What's the thing I'm looking for? But you, you, <laughs> Failure. Failure. <laughs> well, failure, failure is sort of at my core. Yeah. yeah. I have failed so much. Sure. And the things that I've failed at have helped me. It's how you succeed. Figure out where to go. Yeah. Yeah. This didn't work out. Let's try something else. Do you ever want to write plays? I have this no. desire to write plays in film. <laughs> really? Yeah. Screenplay, yes. I've yeah. tried a little. Me too. Little They're terrible. Bit. Yeah, same. Same. Yeah. 
but I've never tried to play. I give them to like I give them to directors, and they're like, "This is great. We just need to get rid of all the dialogue." And I'm like, oh, "The what? whole thing is dialogue." dialogue. Yeah, like, what are they talking about? But then when you watch movies, if you time the dialogue, like yeah. you watch a two-hour movie, and you're like, "There's yeah. 19 minutes of talking," wow. because it's a visual medium. That's but we fill in all these sort of right. blanks, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's." Bullshit. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. words are precious. <laughs> right. uh, so when you go, where do you go to college at? I went to Syracuse University. Oh, you went you Central New York. Gotcha. For uh, English? No, journalism. journalism. Oh, so you yes. like, you were a side new house. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the New Yorker. I went to Berkeley. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the New Yorker um, was one of the um, publications that also owns the newspaper I wound up working at after college, which yeah. was the Post Standard. Really? So did you then go, so you stayed in Syracuse after you graduated? Well, I moved everything back home after graduation, yeah. and then I got a job offer, or actually a request for an interview at the place where I interned, and so I moved everything back. And then did you get a graduate degree? I did, um, from Purdue. Years later. I have an MFA in creative writing from Purdue. When? Uh, I graduated in 06. So, how long was between Syracuse and, and 2003? Oh, that's a good Because you're just a year younger than me, I think. Really? I'm 42. Okay. okay. You said you were 9 in 84. I'm, how old am I? I'm 39. So, you're three years. Yeah. So, yeah. you would have graduated in, like, 97 yes. from college? Yes. So, this is just, like, a couple years later you went to graduate school, like, six years later. Six you stayed years in Syracuse. Yeah, I worked at the paper for six years, and then we moved back home. Home for me. Yeah. Home for my husband. But uh, we moved back here. This happens. This is not home for me. Uh, yeah, I got home sense. for my wife. I got <laughs> okay. And how did you meet your wife? Uh, this is such an interesting story that nobody's going to care about. We actually, um, <laughs> we were both on eHarmony mm-hmm. and couldn't have been less interested. And we're like, but we were only talking to each other and okay. had a few emails over like three months. Uh-huh. Blah, blah, blah. I hadn't responded because I was traveling. She was doing work with her company, found a thing that I did at Ball State, Mm -hmm. sent me an email because for her job, she was interested in what I was doing. Uh And at the end was like, I think that we were hooked up on (laughs) eHarmony. So if this is weird, that's fine. Sure. Um, And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, cool. This is work stuff. That's fine. I I separate the two. Um, And we met for coffee at Mojo's and uh, were engaged two weeks later. Yeah, that night we talked about getting, we planned the wedding that we had that night. Wow. Yeah, and it was exactly the wedding that we had, which, by the way, wow. looked like our town. It was at Indie Fringe. <laughs> Everybody wore their own things and were up on stage, and the photos looked like our town. That is so cool. Um, so cool. But she's from here. Like she's, she's from here. Yeah, she went to Broad Ripple High School. And, oh, wow. I mean, she is from here. Right, right. <laughs> down the street from where we are at yeah. this moment. But you were teaching at Ball State. I was, okay. but it was not clear that I was I going see. to... Stay because okay. I don't stay. Yeah. And now, and now you do. I stay where my wife is. Yeah. yeah. Like that's how that happens, right? So sure. you move back here. Why MFA? I find this fascinating, right? Because the MFA is yes. the big like. Oh, I know. People just like to. It is like debate about it. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, I feel very live and let live about the MFA. Sure. Um, Why'd you do it? Why did I do it? Yeah. I wanted to. I knew that I wanted to write, and I knew that I wanted to teach. Yeah. And you can do both with an MFA. It's right. a good gateway into teaching. Right. Um, I was covering education at the newspaper where I worked. Uh-huh. I started out covering sports. Yeah. And then I moved into education. Uh, high school and area college. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit, That's not really SU, thing. like the SU teams had beat writers. Sure. Except I played volleyball at Syracuse and we didn't have a beat writer. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> you know, football, basketball, lacrosse. Um, so anyway. I went to graduate school with an Olympic volleyball player. Really? Bev Oden. 
Who? Bev Odin. Bev the Odins Odin. were on the Olympic. Oh my women. gosh! Yeah, I yeah. Know that is. She's like one of my very good friends. So cool. it's yeah, it's so weird. Because I know so nothing cool. about that, right? And volleyball is the best. Yeah, I take yeah. like whenever we're together, some of my volleyball friends are like, "Do you know who that is?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's my friend Beth." They're right. like, "She's yeah, part no. of the Odin clan." <laughs> 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 so you played volleyball. I you did. Right. And then, so, but I decided I knew I knew for a really long time that I wanted to write fiction, but it mm-hmm. was sort of like this secret that I had. And you, you were know? that newspaper person. I dare not speak it, right? Because yeah, because that's the cliche, right? Yeah, and I knew I knew as an intern at this newspaper, I was like, this isn't quite for me. But yeah. I'm going to give it a shot. And to have a job offer without even looking right. was amazing right. for a fantastic job right out of college. And I, really, that time was just coming out of that sort of newspaper recession. Yes. Like, the early 90s yes. were really hard to get a job. Yeah. And there was, like, five years where they hired. Right. So, like... I got in. Yeah. yeah I got in, and I was very lucky. And working at that paper was a fantastic, yeah. fantastic experience for me. Um, but I also gathered lots of material for things I wanted to write about yeah, yeah. in fiction. And, um, like people you work with or things that you saw? or the above. Do you have like a little notebook that you carried around? That's my Doctor Who notebook. That's cute. That you just sort of write. I like it. Um, my wife I like the it. size. It's yeah. a nice size notebook. It's very small. Yeah. Um, this one's kind of bulky. Yeah. Heavy, but um, yeah, I did. I had a reporter's notebook and I would sometimes jot things down. Yeah. But you didn't have one that you kept like, this is my fiction. Uh, you didn't have the little red diary equivalent. I had a journal. <laughs> I always had a journal, but I wasn't writing fiction. Yeah. In fact, the first story I wrote that I wrote all the way through, because I would start stories all the time, sure. and I'd be like, oh, I don't know where. It's where a classic writer's so problem. I just <laughs> yeah. I just, 800 half-done stories. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And that was the other reason I wanted right. to get an MFA. Show me what to do. Right. Help me. Um, or give me, like, I need somebody to tell me this has to be finished. Exactly. I need a deadline, and I need support. Right. Um, and I'm that kind of person. So... Uh, but the first story that I finished, the first short story that I saw all the way through, aside from, you know, right. like grade school or right. whatever, uh, was for my MFA application. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And what I, was it about? I did two rounds of applying. It was about a guy, and I have no idea if this story even exists anywhere. It's on a computer that died. Um, and maybe it's in a It's file. in their office. It's in whose office? Whoever you sent it to. Do you think they saved it? I know. I, I mean, school saved Applications it. for that long ago? It's the only... Eight years ago. Seems like a long time. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I would ask. Okay. What if you're famous? Like, you can republish that thing. That's repurposing content. That's what we do. It's probably not very good. (laughs) But it was about a cab driver Uh who was sort of a lonely guy and, um, you know, kept trying to make connections with people in his cab and wasn't very successful at that. And somebody, this will date the story immediately, but somebody left a package, like a folder of photographs. Sure. You know, you yeah. pick up from the drugstore, you go take your photographs film in. or physical. I feel like I have to explain kids. this right. to people. You take your film in, <laughs> right. and then they put it through chemicals in a machine, right? And then they an hour you later, an hour later, it's amazing. Remember the photo bug store things that like you oh could just God. drop your film off? That like people were always dr- yeah, driving like cars little, into because yeah, yeah. they were in the Kmart parking lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they look like snow cones. <laughs> um, I love those, but yeah, you would you would you know pick up your packet of, of prints, and so this cab driver finds. You know, somebody leaves behind a packet of prints in yeah. his cab, and he steals them. Of course he does. And decide, you know, he's looking through them, and, you know, there's a, a family in them. A couple, and I believe a child or two. And he puts up a couple of pictures on his dashboard, and he also decorates his apartment with some of the other pictures. And yeah. he constructs this, this 
It's like one hour photo. Life. I mean, Robin Williams makes a movie about this later on called One Hour Photo. I still haven't seen it, but I've heard that there are some parallels. Yeah, I mean, like it's he works in a store instead of a cab driver, but uh, he looks at people's pictures. When and did that movie come out? Somebody stole it. It would have been sometime around. Or maybe the, I stole the idea. I don't think I did because I've never seen the movie. Yeah. But, um, but Robin Williams is creepy as shit in the movie. I bet he was. Yeah. But like yours, that's only creepy. You don't seem like a creepy story writer. I sometimes write creepy stories, but not like you don't not publish. Like, them. Er, yeah, er, er, this was like creepy. a weird stalker. Like I'm going to take over your family. I, no, not like that. I don't write that kind of, that kind of stuff. I did write a creepy short story about Genghis Khan this <laughs> summer. This is the second Genghis Khan reference I've had today. Who was the other? I don't know. I was. Okay. It just came up in some <laughs> conversation on Facebook. Interesting. Okay. So I'm wondering, I have a friend who's a writer, and he, he read the piece and gave me lots of feedback on it. I was like, was it him? No, <laughs> this was some other, this? like, stupid thing with my graduate school friend. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so Genghis Khan. So, cab driver finds the stuff. And I don't remember how that story ended, except I know he was exposed. Like, somebody found out. They got, oh, I know what it was. It was the friend of the woman who had left the pictures. And she was like, that's, I'm going to make up a name because yeah. I'm terrible with names. That's Betsy. Yeah. Why do you have a picture of Betsy's family in your cab? And it becomes this, like, terrible humiliation yeah. that he was a fake. Yeah, yeah. Which All in the service of trying fits to into the theme life. of you being a faker. Yeah. Right? Like, this is a... Right? I'm going to get found out. What's your book about? <laughs> fake. Fakes. Yeah, is it about <laughs> fake fakes? <laughs> well, there is... You just mentioned stalking. There is kind of some light stalking. That's <laughs> on the book. It's, you know, like, not... Not severe. Why would I know? You said light stalking. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the heck I feel like we just met. Yeah. I've heard some things. No, I'm totally yeah. kidding. Totally kidding. I have asked a lot about you, so I guess I've done some light stalking. You have done yeah. some light stalking. That's what reporting. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, mine was less light. I think it was more. It was more of a you know when you're yeah, just looking yeah. to build community. Sure. Okay. Um, That's why I keep nodding and saying yeah. yeah. Okay, sure, right. sure. Light stalking, absolutely. It's the thing that I know about. <laughs> <laughs> Time of my life. <laughs> well, and I'm laughing, you know, but last season, or last season, sorry, that's a different book. It's my young adult novel. Trip Through Your Wires is my book that's out in uh, next February, 2015. But it, uh, the main is that the first? That's the first one? Yeah. And you have a second one already? Yeah, I have a couple of books that have just been sort of hanging out on my computer and in boxes. Okay, so we're going to get into this. So okay, trip, sure. a trip through... Trip through your wires. Trip through your wires. Do you know the reference of that title? I mean, I know what a tripwire is, but I yeah. don't know what... Okay. Um, it's a, it's also the title of a U2 song. It's off the Joshua uh, Tree album. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. But it also has a lot of connotations. Sure, so yeah. you're stealing things from other people. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's uh, always good to piggyback on, although U2 right now is not... People hate them. I it's funny when I was at People Wired. Are so strange about that. I don't when know. I was at Wired, yeah. I wrote about the recording industry suing the shit out of everybody who was. I was one of the early people to write mm -hmm. about Napster. Mm -hmm. Recording industry we don't want no free music, right? Mm -hmm. Ten years later, here's free music with your phone, and the whole world melted down. I know. Like that was like a first world. Right. Like how dare you two exactly. give us free music? It was such a first world problem, and it was also one of those problems of... It's like a bourgeois first world problem, very, right? Like you have very. to be able to buy the $400 iPhone to get free yes. music, yes. right? You bastards. Well, it's also this illusion that people have that their iPhone is in any way private. You right. know, like that you have this thing, oh, how dare right. you, you know, I just intersected this thing like it's a virus. Right. It's like, come on. Right. 
So you get over it. So, uh, so a trip through your wires uh-huh. is a it, light stalking. Light stalking. It takes place um, in the past uh-huh. and in the present. Uh-huh. So uh, we're in the mid-90s in Mexico, mm-hmm. where my main character, Carrie Halpern, is uh, studying abroad mm-hmm. in college. And while she's there, her boyfriend, who's also an American, is murdered. Mm-hmm. And we know that. It's not a spoiler. We know that from the first. Yeah. I mean, the prologue mm-hmm. from the first chapters. The Marleys were dead to begin with. That's the first line of the Christmas Carol. Oh, I knew, I knew Marley. <laughs> yeah. was dead. Marley was dead. Colon to begin with. To begin so it's with. not a spoiler. Her okay. boyfriend is dead. Yeah, her boyfriend is dead. He was murdered. She doesn't really know. She doesn't know any of the circumstances. Yeah. It's an unsolved murder, and she never really deals with it. In fact, she's so distraught that she can't cope. She gets sent home. She doesn't do the full year in Mexico. This makes sense. And. Uh, yeah, right. And then seven <laughs> years later, she's back in Indianapolis, kind of floundering from temp yeah. job to temp job, not really sure about her purpose Haven't in life. Hasn't recovered really Hasn't this. recovered at all. And, uh, and she then, she, she learns of a clue in her boyfriend's murder. And thus begins. And then she has to revisit in memory. Yeah. So it alternates between past and present. But she's revisiting in memory all the things that happened in Mexico and trying to piece together... What is she realizing what is fake and what is real? <laughs> You're good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sending a theme. You're really in the writing yeah. that you do. Yeah. Are there? Is like is that a theme that you think you follow through? Oh, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Do you think it's because of those early days of like, um, I'm a like, I don't always know. Like, I don't. I think voice is mm-hmm. the thing that you are that you look for. I don't think you develop voice. I think you find voice. Interesting. Um, the thing that you are that you look for. So you mean like it's always in you? Yeah, you like I don't. It. Yeah, I don't think okay. that I can teach a writer their voice. I think the yeah. voice exists, and what I have to do is like chop away the brush and go get rid of all the bullshit and right. tell us who you are. Right. That's where the interesting storytelling happens. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, I like that. Yeah, like if I try to write, well, this is what I would say. Like, it, regardless of how you felt about W, he sounded stupid when he tried to talk when they early in his speeches. They put, like, Greek references and shit that you just knew. Like, when Clinton did, you're like, Bubba's a Rhodes Scholar, right? Yeah. W wasn't. But when he was best, Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. Like, 9-11, when he stood down on that thing, nobody will forget. We hear, like, when he was being himself, Mm -hmm. he was the likable person that everybody who knows him Mm -hmm. says, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it was only when the affect of these other things came on that he seemed unbelievable. Right. And that's how I feel writing is like people that try to write in a way that's not them. You can tell. Yes. Yes. And so is this Baker thing like. Is it related to. Like, yeah. Is that like a thing that like drives you or that you wonder about or that that is a. I'm well, I'm really interested in authenticity. Like who are we as genuine people? Because Mm -hmm. there are so many ways for us to not be authentic and not be genuine Especially with social media, where right. you can construct selves and sure. layers, and but you can do that when you move from, say, Milwaukee to California to Illinois. Every time is a new way to yeah, make yourself. You can, and interestingly enough, like kind of related to that, I don't know if you've seen this article; it's several years old, but uh, it talks about the that the internet is the end of forgetting. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it used to be that you could go west right. and like be a new person sure. and forget that you were arrested for stealing horses yeah. in Nevada or wherever for the west. Um, but now your reputation follows yeah. wherever you go. It's why um, the right to forget laws are being passed. 
that what you can that? now you can now petition Google to erase things about you. Ooh. Yeah, because because people have said like, <laughs> yeah, I don't even read that stuff. I, I just assume it's this. It's He's a dick. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not doing my job if they're like, man, that was easy. He's great. Like right. I want him to be like, he made me do shit 14 times. Like yeah. that means you did it wrong 13. Right. right. You're welcome. Learn. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that these uh, 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 um, the right to forget is that we should be able to control the things about us that are ours. But as a writer, I think that's I think it's terrible, right? Because what are my stories other than if I interact with you, you're not. It's not your story. It's not my story. It's our story, and you don't have the right to tell me I, that 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 I can't talk about it. Well, that's true. But talking about it is different from documenting it. But what if I write a story about this? Do I have to ask you and get permission to do that? You know what I mean? Like, right. like if we think about authenticity, I think right. I live my, but this is the alcoholism, right? Like I've had to go sit in front of most of the people, not everybody, I'm getting to you, um, and like confess my sins, right? right. And to make amends. You so like, like a, as part of the step, yeah, program. like as part of the yeah. program. Yeah. So yeah. I don't get to say what I've done. Yeah. You don't get to experience, right? Like you get to experience what I've done to you, however you do it. I don't that get makes, to explain that it. That makes a lot of sense. Right? This is why I'm so fascinated by yeah. what things right. people gravitate to. Right. So my writing is like that. And how long have you been sober? This time, six and a half years. Like, But it's a thing that like, I feel like this one's going to stick. But like, this has been a thing that's been in my life since I was 16. Like the oh, first time gosh. I drank, I blacked out. Like, oh, my gosh. Right? And I'm, people are like, what? And I'm like. I didn't realize that was not how yeah. you did it. <laughs> right? yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I felt like you people were doing it. Was this in California? No, I, I grew up in Ohio. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so Ohio to Berkeley. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, the, the Ohio, Austin, Berkeley, Austin, Boston, Kentucky, Ohio. Nice. Yeah. Because I moved around because that's what addicts do. I reinvented. So this was as an adult, you moved around, not like. Yeah, I went to Miami University and graduated, and went back to Cincinnati and left, um, and spent. I never spent more than five years in a place, um, four and a half, because wow. I would wear out my welcome. Right, like eventually all the lies cave in on each other, and yeah. so you move. Yeah, yeah. So. So you got to reinvent yourself. I did. Yeah. Right, and then I've been so out. I've been always online and doing the technology stuff. I've always been so out front about anything. Mm-hmm. That I just said, like, I'm going to be the asshole that I am. Right? And, like, so nobody could ever lord that over, even though they could, right? Because you're always doing fucking terrible things. you're in charge of your story. Right. Yeah. And and then as I've gotten sober, I've realized I I should not be. Because my story intersects with everybody else. I see that. Yeah. That makes sense yeah. to me. And I think maybe I'm looking at it from the angle of... Um, who we are in public and who we are in sure. private. Like that we have a right to our private selves. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that there is this sense with the internet and social media and things like that that people can infringe on that yeah. private self. And that's interesting to me is thinking about Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, who are we really at mm-hmm. our core? And who do we present to other people? And where where do those yeah. people like where do those selves intersect? And so the thing I would argue back is that I don't think, I think social media has brought this out. I think about your interactions before you were online. So you're a Zuckerberg fan. You're, you're a team Zuckerberg. Yeah. Like, who, I mean, who you are online is who you are in every aspect of your life. I think that before the internet, before the web, mm-hmm. because right, the internet's been around for 40 years. Before the web, before people were using it, 
You had a work persona. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You right. had a home persona. Right. You had a out on Friday persona. Is it authentic for you to be able to hide those from people? Shouldn't I know who you are? Shouldn't not, I? Not if you, not if you are my boss, you know, like you know me in one context and I would, I would act differently. See, that and terrifies you don't, you don't me. To have, you don't need to have access to every part of me. But see, that terrifies me you, because you that's how con men get by. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> As a general, the general, right, 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 again. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but see, and to me, I think. The only way to live an authentic life is to be the you. Is to like I feel like shame is a weird thing that drives these kinds of things, and mm-hmm. I feel like we put shame on things that shouldn't mm-hmm. have them, right? And so we feel the need to be like, okay, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah, like yeah, to yeah. me, sure. this sort of it, my old boss Jason at MIT calls it radical public, you know, like. Okay. Do you know uh, who Sherry Turkle is? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But she's like, I was just writing about Turkle the other day, okay. right? I teach her book in my comp class. Which one? Um, Alone Together. Yeah. yeah. So um, Henry Jenkins is in our book, and mm-hmm. Henry used to write for me, and Henry and uh, Sherry okay. did a bunch of stuff together. Cool. So she's gone through a, a complete change. Her her yeah. recent book really angered a lot of people like Ooh, me who grew up. What's the recent book? Uh, the one, whatever the most recent one was about, like, maybe online stuff is bad. Okay. okay. It's like, maybe this is not good. Like, all the, maybe I was wrong, right? <laughs> okay. Um, and so, to me, I think that it comes more from this, and it's not even a Western idea, right? Like, it's just the idea of, um, why should I be ashamed that I'm an addict? Sure. Right? And sure. so, why should I be ashamed that I went out till two o'clock in the morning to do a thing? And if I yeah. do, if I do go out till two in the morning, and right. I'm your boss, and you're late tomorrow, you shouldn't be able to lie to me about that. That's interesting, right? And so, to me, it's just a way that we construct these sort of realities around yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. And again, as someone that writes nonfiction, I just think no. Yeah, so you're more interested in truth, and I'm more interested. in Well, a like, kind of truth. A kind of yeah, truth. yeah. story truth. Yeah, right. Where. Um, like the way things happen. I am interested in privacy. Right. But that's the a, there's a truth to that too, right? Yeah, like, sure, sure, um, sure. But I, I, I don't feel like everyone should have access to everything. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of where I don't I, I don't know what that I don't know where the line is. I think right. that there's a line. Yeah. I don't know where the I line is. I don't think is. any of us do. I think that we're trying to find those boundaries, and it's it's very. There seems to be a lot of friction as we try to yeah. figure out what those boundaries are, and you know. There are so many shades of Big Brother and right. all of these but see, to me, of the surveilled society. When I was at Wired in, in 2001, um, I wrote about this the other day. Like, mm-hmm. I was writing about this stuff. Cool. It's not new. No. The fact that we know about it and have tools to fight against it is really good. Right. So if people think, like, I want to go back to a time when there wasn't privacy or when there was privacy, sure. like, from the I'm like... The government knew everything. They had access to your credit records, your credit, like anything you yeah. signed and put a name on or it was right. sent across the line, right. they knew. Did you see my eye just twitch? When you said <laughs> yeah. oh. But now we know it, right? Now we have the ability to say, look, I want to use um, RSA. I want to use public-private encryption so that right. you can't, right. like, um, there's a great book called Crypto by Stephen Levy that's about this stuff. Ooh, but, like, it's... Um, Anyway, it's just sort of like as I approach my writing, mm-hmm. like that is very much my voice, yeah. right? And yeah. so, yeah. Um, although I will say, when I write about other people, I never use their name. Like when I'm writing my personal stuff because I feel like my story has imposed on people enough. I won't not tell the story. Sure. But you're being respectful of their privacy. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. Because so much of my shit is bad. Mm. 
or like you know they just don't need to be and you're all about trying to deal with it yeah like my amends is about like not and making more pain (laughs) that's serious I think that is serious serious hard work they're not fun. Yeah. But they're better. It's better, right? But, so, anyway, like, talking about the writing, like, this is a theme, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this Baker theme. That, sure. Is yeah. it in the young adult? Is that a thing that's coming in? in yes, it actually is. <laughs> have oh, you not ever thought about that. this? Are we have, breaking new ground here I at think, the jam? I think we are. <laughs> I think we are. I've thought about it in certain senses, but I've never really connected it to the fact that I used to be a faker. Like, uh-huh. I would fake physical illness to get out of doing things. Or to, like, you know... Isn't it funny how our mind doesn't construct patterns? Yeah, yeah. Because this is the and first time we've talked. I know. Right? I and, like, know. 30 minutes into it, I'm like, you're a faker. <laughs> <laughs> like, you write about faker. I believe I self-disclosed right. that I was a faker. But, but, yeah. but then it was a... But then well, it's in then all my How writing. about this? What about this? You're like, yeah. oh, shit, like... Yeah. Well, subterfuge, too. Like, that's a big yeah, yeah. part of... Um, and I'm trying to think, with the young adult novel, it's not so much... Well, no, there are elements of faking, but I think that um, I think that it's just part of the human condition. Yeah. You know, that we, sure, as a way of coping, yeah, we often try to be things that we aren't or that we aren't yet. Yeah, you know, like that we want to be, right, or even that we don't want to be, and that we're just trying to like deal with something, right. whatever our shit is, deal with it, and it it construe not construes. What's what I'm looking for? Constructs. Constructs. Manifests. Yeah, yeah. My teacher word sort of manifests itself as, you know, being inauthentic, right. being a fake. But this is the idea of finding voice, right? Like, I don't sure. think you can, man- I think it's easy to tell a manufactured voice. Oh, yeah. If you're a professional, yeah. you, like, if you're, like, if you're a writer, mm-hmm. you can read somebody and sure. tell within five minutes, two yeah. pages, right? Yeah. Well, I think that some of my earlier stories, I, I look at them now and I'm like, yeah, I was trying really, right. I was trying too hard. Like, that's not, you were trying that's to, not me. Right, you were trying to construct this thing. I was trying to be like, look, I'm a writer. Yeah. As opposed to just writing. Oh, my God. And not worrying so much about what I was or wasn't. Yeah, well, I sent my, my proposal. Because even though I, I'm doing this on my own, uh, you know, I raised money on Kickstarter, and I, mm-hmm. um, my old editor from Wired is the article or the story editor at Outside. So yeah. I sent him the proposal to see if he'd do it. And he was like, is this an academic book? And I was like, fuck. <laughs> No, it's about my family in Appalachia. I got a famous family in Appalachia. And I was you like, do. Who's no. your famous family? Um, they're the, uh, you're not from Appalachia, so you probably I'm won't remember they are. It's the Bakers. Um, okay. they, the Bakers and the Whites were in the longest, bloodiest feud in I've the heard history of them. So, because I listened to the Hatfields and the McCoys. So you know about the Bakers and the Whites, yeah. right? So I the, didn't listen to the whole thing. But the know, Hatfields and McCoys they... lasted for two weeks. Ours lasted uh, 100 years. Wow. Yeah, 125 people were killed. Um, two of the most prominent families in the area. So it was like, and I was like, no, there's nothing. But I was, I'm stuck in this, yeah. I'm around all these people who say yeah. things like manifest. And I'm more of a fuck you. Like, this is, <laughs> like, th- I'm that. Like, I'm yeah. Hemingway. I'm not, I'll never be, I, people wouldn't, I don't, I don't know Latin. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't know Greek references. Like, yeah. I grew up reading, yeah. you know, Asimov and Hemingway. Sure. And so I think that voice manifests. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So who who were you reading when you were young? Oh my gosh, I read just about anything I could get my hands on. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, like when I was little, little, I was reading books um, that probably weren't age appropriate. Sure. You know, like lots of young adult stuff before I was really ready yeah. for it. I feel like that's what writers do. Yeah, and I think that that's what kids do too, because you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to change in yeah. all these sick and gross ways. Give me all the details right. you can, right. you know, like Judy Bloom, please help me. Right, because you don't want things hidden. Yeah. 
Yeah. You want to know all the information. Exactly. People, <laughs> people make it their business to hide stuff from kids. From everybody. Yeah. We just had a discussion about privacy. I know. Right? Like, I know. And that your boss shouldn't know this. And but, but I think I think yeah. that, like, when you're a kid, it's in the service of protection. Yeah. Or, you know, like, that's that's right. kind of the, the claim. Right. This is for your own good. I'm trying right. to protect you. but. I think we forget that kids can handle way more than we think they can. They can handle way more than we can oh my God. dealing with them. Yeah, they like, can bounce back way easier, too. It's just all my seems that way, at least. I mean, from, yeah. I mean, not from terrible trauma or anything right. like that, but, you know. But even from that. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. their experience isn't yet shaped. Like, we shape that experience right. for them. So if it's a traumatic thing that, like, we experience that. Yeah. And so yeah. you get used to it. But the right. first time, I think that has a profound impact on how you deal with that. Right. And right. hiding things, I think, is bad. Yeah. Now I don't have kids, so I don't know. I don't give people parenting advice. No, no. Yeah, I know. Because um, yeah. everybody does it different. But it's, it's that, it's that. So, so you were reading, like, Judy okay. Bloom. Judy everybody Bloom, read Judy Bloom, right? Paula like Danziger. I loved her. Um, who'd you read when you got older? When I got older. Like, who are your people? Who are your go-to people? Now? Like, yeah. as an adult? Yeah. Well, in college, I was discovering people like, um, well, David Foster Wallace is yeah. one of my favorites. I read Favorite Infinite essay? Chest. Favorite essay? Yeah. I like his fiction more than his essay. Really? But I really liked, um, I don't know all the titles, but the one about uh, when he was playing tennis. Yeah. You, you'll know the title. And Tracy, Tracy, what's her name? I don't know. Tennis player. Young tennis oh, player. Oh, Tracy Austin? Tracy yeah. Austin. Thank you. Yeah, about Tracy Austin. Yeah. I like that one a lot. So you like his tennis. It's like, I love um, Consider the Lobster. I like that one too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, um, the, he wrote the introduction to the best American essays, I think, in 2007. Yeah. Called Deciderization. It's the greatest essay. I haven't read that one. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's the introduction yeah. to the boss sanity. Okay, I've thanks. broken the copyright and uh, made a Xerox copy of it. Um, <laughs> but essentially, it's here's how we decide to what goes in these. Mm-hmm. And by the way, there's no, this is all subjective. And if you right. don't like it, become a famous writer and get picked to be the editor <laughs> of the American essays. But by the way, the guy who decides the essays that I pick, he's the guy who's really, he narrows them all down to 100. I get yeah. the two. So he did sort of late. He does the David Foster Wallace thing, right? right, right which right. is like lays bare. Yeah. Like, you're all pissed at me, but like, right. this guy only gave me 100. Surely there was more than 100 essays written. Right? Like, exactly. I don't get to just choose what I want. Exactly. But so, I'm a big fan of his fiction. Yeah. And one of the best temp jobs I ever had was one summer um, between two years of college, I was uh, a receptionist at a book publisher here in town. Wow. And they were like, well, you're only here for the summer. We don't really want to train you to do anything. So you just answer the phones and read. Yeah. And I brought in books every day. And that was where you read Infinite Jest. I read books. I read Infinite Jest that summer. So you're like... I got paid to read Infinite Jest. So you like... Did you read the footnotes? Yeah. You read 1,400 pages. Yeah. And I have to to admit, like, I think that there's probably a class of people that get really annoyed when people talk about reading Infinite Jest because it's so freaking long. It's like a doorstop. You know, it's a thousand pages. Everybody get... Like, I've been to page 300 like four times. (laughs) Do you know, you know, John Green? Yeah. The young adult writer who lives here in Indy. He, um... He tweeted one time, and he's such a prolific tweeter, but he said, how do you know when somebody has read Infinite Jest? They'll tell you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's true. Yeah. It's true. But, but to it's- me, it's, I mean, like, that's the benchmark, right? Yeah. Like, that is before I die, I'm going to get through that you book. Should. And you're on Twitter, right? Yeah. I think yeah. we follow each other. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but there's this great account you should look for. It's called, um, I think it's what it's called, Infinite Jest Erasure. <laughs> and it's an artist and a writer who... Um, creates new meaning, just takes a page out of infant jest and erases words, uh-huh. and then there's a new 
sentence, yeah. word, whatever that emerges. What do you so. think about the fact that uh, they published his unfinished work? They had people finish it. The Pale King? Yeah. I haven't finished The Pale King. It's I refused funny. to buy it. Yeah, I did buy it. I um, I read a little more than halfway through and then I think had a baby yeah. <laughs> and put it down and haven't come back to it. So do you find it interesting that like, because that's like, as a writer, to me, I'm like, that's the ultimate invasion of prophecy. Like, it is this unfinished work that didn't get done, and somebody has put that out, and I, I, feel, I feel... I feel less strongly about it now that I've yeah. been through the process of editing a novel yeah. with, a, with an editor, and, you know, it is a collaborative process, and I used to think that so much writing was done in isolation, like, you just yeah. sat in your turret and churned out pages and created books that way, and sure, that can happen for some people, but that's not how it happens for me. I need feedback. I need people to yeah, say, Yeah, but he wasn't hey, done with it. Yeah, tell me more about this. Yeah, I know, but... Yeah. And, and to I me, like... I have mixed feelings about it. I, I, I think that... <laughs> I think he would hate it. I have and almost I, no doubt that he would be mortally offended by it. And I really, you know, like, I have a lot of strong feelings about David yeah. Foster Wallace as a person, too. And, right. You know, about his death, and so... It was what got me sober. Really? I had a total... Things were going badly in my life, and that happened. I had students at the time who told me they thought I was... I canceled my classes, my lessons, Mm -hmm. and taught David Foster Wallace that day through blubbering tears. Yeah, it was... I had students tell me they thought I was going to go home and kill myself that day. Yeah. So, like, I have this, like, very visceral, like, probably unhealthy connection, right, because of the depression. I mean, not depression, but, like, my addiction, his depression, like, those kinds of things. I think he had some substance issues. I think that that is a thing that people that have depression do. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, I mean, it is that is alcoholism or it, the isms are g- generally trying to get rid of some demon, <laughs> right? right. Um, yeah, so I, I find it. I, yeah, my writing partner and I both were like, ah, I feel like I would be horrified if somebody took my shit after yeah. I died because you can't do anything about it, right? Which really, I shouldn't care about. I don't, I don't think there's stuff after, but just the idea. Yeah, yeah. I think it used to bother me more than it does now because I'm. What can I do about it? I'm dead, right. you know? Right, right. <laughs> Hi, morbid. <laughs> right. I'm a dead faker. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a dead faker. Do what you right. want with my work. So what no else? one's going to believe you, faker. Right, right. <laughs> I've hidden meanings in it. What did the author really mean? <laughs> right. What the, who else? Who else? Okay, uh, Alice Walker. Uh-huh. I'm really into Alice yeah. Walker in college. Um, Alice McDermott on my Alice kick. Do you know her work? Mm-mm. Well? She writes... Is it fiction? Yeah. I'm largely a nonfiction guy. I'm I'm trying to make myself a fiction guy now that I'm getting to know writers. Yeah. We haven't talked about James Fry yet. I'm sure we will. Oh, yeah. No. Fakers. Speaking of fakers. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When I read the book, I was... I cried the whole way through. But the whole time, I thought, there's no... This isn't true. Yeah. You knew. If you're an addict, like, I'm like... Look, I've written about addiction. I've lived through addiction. Mm -hmm. Um... I know fucked up people. Yeah, right. That yeah. seemed like yeah. a bad one flew up the cuckoo's nest. I like Ken Kesey, too. Right? <laughs> How do you not? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I read that um, book in my mind. It's kind of blown. Uh, J.D. Salinger, I love. Oh, have you seen the documentary? Mm-hmm. Seen, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So good. It is so good. Yeah. Uh, so good. Tom Robbins? Yeah, I like Tom Robbins. I like, mm-hmm. another roadside attraction yes. is, like, the super greatest book of all time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I told people, like, the last image in that book of like the Jesus mummy, the monkey, 
and the guy in the balloon going into the sun like Icarus. I'm like, that should be, that's like 20th century literature. Like, that is, it's the greatest end to a book ever. Like, the assassin monks coming after him in the roadside, like, uh, like roadside attraction with the, uh, I think it was ants or roaches that mm-hmm, they had trained mm-hmm. with like the monkey and the cheese. Yeah, just yeah. like, this is what kind of, what? The, the flying off, you just reminded me since we talked about Greece earlier too, that like they fly off in a convertible. If you don't think yeah. that's the best ending of all. My wife, actually, that's the part she hates that part it's of the, the movie. It's the worst part of the movie. Yeah. Why do they fly says. away in a red convertible? I don't understand. She, I mean, we watched it the other night. It was like, you know, date night at the house and she was like, this is the only part of the movie that's stupid. I'm like, <laughs> Really? <laughs> it's a yeah. greaser movie with yeah. uh, an Australian and a Scientologist, and like that's the that's the part of this. Uh, and it, like the whole time I'm watching, and uh, uh, Jeff um, Conway, Conway, yeah. who's on Babylon Five, like I, like he comes yeah. on, and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, like. Did he die recently? He was an addict. He died. Oh, yeah, I didn't like, know that. And I was like, this ruins the whole movie. Yeah. You know, and then like Mrs. Bartlett is, so you know, cute. Rizzo. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I'm like, I feel like Mrs. Bartlett was just Rizzo grown up. <laughs> like, I feel like Stocker Channing has just been playing wow. herself her whole yeah. life. Yeah, like, because yeah, yeah. she doesn't take shit at all from no. Jeff Bartlett. That's right. Yeah. So, Alice Walker. So, what is Alice? Alice McC- McDermott. Yeah. She writes beautifully yeah. about. Everyday life, yeah. ordinary people, and I think that that gets a lot of sh- that gets short shrift yeah. a lot of times. People just dismiss it as being, you know, women's fiction, yeah. domestic fiction. But to me, it's like this is how we live. Yeah. Um, her most recent book I listened to in the car, and it's called Someone. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. But if you ask me what happens in it, yeah. I would have to tell you not a lot. Like not a lot happens, but it's this account of ordinary people rendered in the most beautiful language but yeah. it's not shallow it's not empty have you read stasi land no and a, a and a thunder Mm-mm. it's about it's a non-fiction book it's an okay. australian one or you, New keep, you keep bringing it back to the non-fiction well she it's it's a book that i should hate by all because it, yeah. it's connected because she goes to understand what life was like in east germany oh wow right and yeah. but it's not a there's no depth to it in terms of like the geopolitical like she right, just right. gets to know and tries to track down some people mm-hmm. stasi officers that's amazing yeah she she finds a guy who had been the biggest rock star there mm-hmm. and then they made all of his music disappear so he just becomes like oh a guy God. and so it's the, but it's this there's not a story yeah this is just yeah. what it was like yeah. and so like there's not a conclusion to mm-hmm. the book mm-hmm. and it's beautiful and like it's i'm reading i'm like yeah and hate this shit and then i'm like man i'm 40 more pages into it right like i couldn't put the book down it's everything that i hated because it's this sort of slice of life yeah yeah yeah. with no depth and yet you know these people right and you get done and you're just shattered yeah in like the most beautiful way you think well i should never yeah like i should never write again like i can't do that do you have that response when you read really good writing? Holy that shit, you yeah. Do it? Yeah, like, I can't do that. Like, I am very clearly Solieri, right? Like, <laughs> surrounded by Mozart, <laughs> who are just like, you just do this, right? And I'm like, bonk, bonk, bonk. Like, <laughs> um, but then when I write about addiction, I have people on my blog, I have people from all over the world. I have people call me, email me, like, because that's the authentic, like, that's sort of when I begin to understand that, right. like, I was not this other thing. I'm right. not... Um, I'm Fitzgerald if he was like a drunk, broken guy, mm. not a rich dude, right? Like that's huh. that's sort of my 
Nathaniel Hawthorne, this is my this is my tree. Okay. Nathaniel Hawthorne, Fitzgerald, Hunter Thompson, David Foster Wallace. Like these are people that write about when the American dream goes fucked up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like yeah. that's sort of mine is addiction. Like right. that is my tunnel through this because yeah. through addiction you have amends. You have right. um, what does private, you know, like mm-hmm. all, you have everything. Like what happens when everything is gone? Who are you? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's my faker. Interesting. Yeah. So do you have a tree? Do you sort of look back and go, here are the people that I. Tree. I've never thought of it that way. But like my sort of touchstone. Yeah. Channel? Like when you say, here's the, I mean, Foster Wallace sounds like he's one. He's on the tree. I feel like is probably on the tree. Really? Mm-hmm. You like, you like Catcher? I love Catcher. And I also like his other books too. Yeah. Not as much, but Franny and Zooey I like a lot. Um, I'm going back to Catcher. And I read a lot of Salinger biography in yeah. college. I just got obsessed yeah. with him. I was like, who is this guy? Right. What's his problem? Why won't he talk to us? Right. So I got interested in, in learning about him. Um, He's like the Pearl Jam of writers, right? Like Pearl Jam doesn't do videos, didn't sign. Like they're just like, fuck it. Did just, you see Pearl Jam 40? No. Is that what it was called? I I, I'm a huge fan, but I have very... 30. 20? Oh, God. I don't even remember. But it was a documentary. You tell stories like my wife. It was something. <laughs> Pearl Jam with a number. This is, this is me in class, too. I'm like, right. did you hear about the study? I can't cite it because I have no right. idea where I read this But it's true. And it's so interesting. Right. And my students are like, uh-huh. <laughs> um, gosh. I'm also a mangler, so there's that. Um, Salinger. Salinger. David Foster Wallace. Yeah. I would put Alice Walker on that tree. Yeah, yeah. I would put... I need to read that. Alice McDermott. I would put Eleanor Lippman on that tree. How do I know that name? Um, she is a Boston writer. Yeah, what's her book? Living. She's written a number of books. One that you might know was made into a movie called Then She Found Me. Oh. And I just adore her writing. Yeah. I adore it. It's, it's complex and funny. Yeah. And she just has... Um, she has a really great touch, yeah. people sometimes say, yeah. writers, and she's one of those. Yeah. A thunder is that way. Like, yeah. you just get done, and you're like, yeah. I shouldn't like this. Yeah. It feels light, and it's not. Right. And I don't know how she did it. Yeah. Like, most of the time, I can figure out your mechanic. Right. Like, I know what's coming. Yeah. And I read her shit, and I was like, I have no idea cool. what's happening. Yeah. It's really cool. It's like this painting on the wall. Like, you can't tell where the brushstrokes were. Mm-hmm. Most authors, I can see the brushstrokes. Yeah. You know, because we just, we have mechanics, and you set right. people up, and you're like, I'm going to knock you down. Now you're making me think, like, hmm, can you see the brushstrokes in my novel? Yeah. But don't you do you that when you read? Me. You can tell me if you do. Oh, I will. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I don't doubt it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I'm going to be authentic, right? Like, I hate yeah. when people are like, you're a good writer. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. If you can't say, like, here's the part that's not right. good. <laughs> right. Because every part has that, like, yeah. although Sunders look pretty good. Sure. Um. So she's one of those people. Littman's one of those people that you oh, don't yeah. really feel like yeah, that. Yeah, I really like her. I like her a lot. And, you know, like, I just get fixated on certain writers sometimes yeah. where I'll read one book and I'm like, that was amazing. Yeah. I need to find everything they've written. I've read, I, phases yeah. like that. Robbins I've read in, like, two years. Yeah. I read, like, everything. Awesome. Yeah. Until I got to uh, Half Sleep and Frog Pajamas, and I'm like, what the fuck? I read that one, too. Um, Cowgirls was hard. Um Still Life with Woodpecker was... That's, I started that's with... That's the one I really like. See, I started with another roadside attraction. I'm like, nothing is as good as this <laughs> book. You cannot compare. Yeah. And then I was reading it, like, right... Um, the Cowgirls, the movie, had come out a few mm-hmm. years before. And I was like, eh, yeah. big fun. I'm like, what the hell is yeah. that? It's really a book. When, do you ever read um, Tim O'Brien? Going After Cacciata yeah. was our um, incoming book really? in, at Miami in oh, 1990. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. great. That's yeah. great. 
he was at Butler last spring. Yeah. I think it was. Um, I haven't read a lot of his stuff at all. I mean, I don't, I don't know him, so I don't, I don't mean this in a disparaging way. Although mm-hmm. come off mm-hmm. that way, it seems like he's written going after Cacciato repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Like every time I read the synopsis, they're like, and then Vietnam. You know, like well, it's I think like Vietnam a, is his material. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But I think that each book is different enough. Yeah, like you've got, you've got. I mean, that's just that's his. Subject. That's his thing. That's his subject. Yeah. That's what he is working through. Oh, uh, he Knowles. stood up in front of all of us at Butler and you know cried yeah. as he was talking about Vietnam yeah. and about you know he said I could see the empathy in your faces and yeah. your eyes and like that's what keeps me doing this. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Knowles, a separate piece. That's like a, a. I did read separate piece. I read that like every couple of years. Phineas. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you ever want to know what being an addict is like, it's after um, he shakes Phineas off the tree, and he has to deal with the fact that nobody knows that he broke his best friend's leg, which eventually leads to his friend dying. Oh. It's not a spoiler. This book is 25, 30 years old. Yeah. Um, but he never – it changes everything about him. Yeah. But it, and he does it because he's jealous because his friend is smarter, right. better, right. nicer, kinder. Liked by the girls better. And it's just one of those, like, it's really interesting. It is a mean girls book if it was boys. Sure. Right? Like, it's the thing we sort of associate with mean with girls, girls that yeah. is. Yeah, um, yeah. And I read that as a, as a kid, and I just thought, ah. Oh, Jealousy like, is such a motivator. And it was really, it was, right, for him, it was sadness. Mm-hmm. It wasn't jealousy. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, but, like, I read that book as, like, he was sad that his world wasn't that thing mm-hmm. and he was still the airy. like what do you do if you realize you are that person yeah right like it you you try to kill mozart yeah even though you want to be around mozart right like that's the sort of eternal struggle of being around greatness hmm. i think if you're not great like this is the feelings that i've had when i'm around it like yeah not that you want to kill it but like right it's you, you got to be humble yeah like hey you know what that's cool right. <laughs> like right. i feel like that's hard for humans Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that we want, I mean, we want pats on the back, yeah. the gold star. and You want to be the best. All of those things. So one more thing, and then we're going to go. Sure. Because uh, you brought this up, and, like, this is a conversation that I have with lots of people. Uh-huh. Um, uh, uh, the label, like, so I used to want to label things. Mm-hmm. And then I got older. Like and I'm with like, the label maker? Yeah. But also, like, women's fiction, fiction. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know. Sure. Um, so what, is there a thing called women's fiction, or is it just fiction? <laughs> the last question <laughs> loaded. It's not because I mean it's a if there was an answer we'd have an answer like it's yeah. just a, Well, the thing that I try to do is to just flip it around. So, would you call any type of men's fiction men's fiction? Yeah, right. You wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I think we should. You do? Yeah, because if as a reader like I need to know I, what I think is the problem is that we call fiction men's fiction yeah. and we call women's fiction women like we we call it women's fiction and then fiction is yes very clearly men's fiction sure exactly and that's what like i think the problem culture. is right right yeah 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 um and so is there such a thing as like fiction that women prefer but right this is the thing right like because yeah. i don't think there is well because i think i think people like i i think people gravitate to things sure i think you could say well women have bought these kinds of books sure um but i but if you said define women's fiction, I couldn't. Right. I think it's good for marketing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, like, if you said, like, what are the elements of women's fiction? And women like? buy the most books. And so I think that maybe that's... Which I actually think is way more problematic. Yeah, like yeah uh, because... 
um, the gap for boys in reading and mm-hmm. in schools mm-hmm. is greater than the gap for women in right. science and math. I've written about this a lot, cool. and it's actually getting bigger. Cool that you've written about it, not cool. Yeah, right. And so this is what I tell people. So if I told you that there was an industry where 57% of the workers were of a gender, um, of the managers were of a gender, Mm -hmm. and 75% of the workers were a gender, and that the opposite gender was having a gigantic problem, Mm -hmm. what would you do? Mm -hmm. And whatever people say, I'm like, well, one is Silicon Valley with women, and the other is K-12 through teaching with boys. Yeah. So, have you read the war against boys? I this is I think we talked about that. I have such a problem with Christine Hoff Summers because oh, she's, is that who it is? Okay. yeah, she's politically sort of the other side of yeah. the world that yeah. I live on. Yeah, um, and she says some things that are just like awful. But oh, people, I agree. Yeah. But people have told me this book is like a really. Um, it's very interesting. It's an interesting it's book looking interesting. at this problem. Yeah, and I think you can, like you said, you can sort of see the, the brush strokes where you're like, right. agenda, agenda, right. agenda. Because, like, I don't think women can't teach boys to read. No, like, no. Any more than I don't think, like, men can mentor women. But I, I think that her thesis is strong, which yeah. she says that the way that we have kind of falsely privileged and prioritized, like, that girls need to be lifted up. Right. Um and, and given more attention than boys. Yeah. Like anytime you, you single somebody out as needing more, yeah. you create a problem. Right. You know, that's not equality. And, and so we do the thing. Boys have suffered as a result of that. It's her thesis. Yeah. I, I, think that's, I think that that's been proven true. I think that there is a truth to that in areas. In areas like you, whenever you talk about boys and reading, mm-hmm. what do people say? Ah, oh, they don't read. Right? And if I said, like, ah, oh, girls yeah. don't do math, the fucking world would come down on my head. Right? right. But we... But but we seem to be able to say that with boys. So when right, I right. and yet fi- and yet fi- and just like it's I'm and like it's not like they're going to turn into men and be okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like yeah. we're doing pretty good in the right. culture right, right now. So like it's not like oh my god we have to upend everything. But it yeah. is. Uh, I oftentimes tell people like as feminism, second third wave feminism has become so dominant and really sort of made gains. It's no longer that sort of Betty Friedan, we are screwed. Right. There, there are now opportunities and, like, it is now sort of socially accepted that, like, right. women and men should be doing the same thing. So have the opportunities. Have the opportunities. Right. That's exactly it. Like, there's nothing wrong with staying home and, right. you know, being a stay-at-home right. parent if that's your choice. Right. Right. You know, like it's all about having the opportunity to do the thing. That and we're in a weird Venn diagram where, like, we, mm-hmm. it's hard to look at the boys and go, well, but they're going to turn out okay. Like, right. yeah, but they can't read. Yeah. I love Venn diagrams, by the right. way. I Me use them too. for teaching writing all the time. So then I look at, like, women's fiction and I'm like, I feel like, not that this is, not that this is a related problem, but mm-hmm. it's sort of in that thing where, like, it's really good for marketing. Yes. But I don't know what that actually means. Because I, I wouldn't say, like, women's fiction. Like, it's pink. It's about boys. and You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't give you a definition for what it is. Like, right. is your stuff women's fiction because you wrote it? No. I don't think so. Right. It has men in it. Right. And so, women. So what does it mean, right? So this right. is, like, as a writer, I'm like, I don't really give a shit about the culture war stuff. Like, I'm yeah. trying to figure out how would I define it. Like, is Alice okay. Walker, like, is that black fiction? I kind of feel like that's not. Yeah, I would say it's not. You know what I mean? Like, this right. is about the American experience. Like, it is exactly. a thing. It is like American literature. Right. Well, you can't really market that, right? Well, I, mean, I, think that I think what we keep circling back to is, like, who's doing the defining? You know, if right. it's the dominant culture, then you're going to other. You're going yeah. to say, this is not me, therefore yeah. it is women, or therefore it is black. or therefore But it's it also empowering them. to say, right? Like, so if you said it's women fiction, is that okay? 
and if I, you know what I mean? I like, think it's the, I think it's the old thing, like you know, I can insult my right. family, but you can't insult yeah, my yeah. family. You know, like you can call yourself what you are, but if yeah. somebody else calls you it, then you yeah. don't have a problem. With I like it. yeah. People yeah. talk about Appalachia. I'm like, well, look, yeah, I can yeah, call yeah, them hillbillies because I'm from there. Right, I'm from the hollers. Yeah, but like I I'm will. Not from the hollers, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so so, what's your book then? What's the labels? Like, what's the book? I would call it literary fiction. Yeah. I think it has elements of mystery to yeah. it, although it's not a mystery novel. Yeah. Um, Self-exploration? Is it really ultimately about the, the main character? Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty much Peeling about... back layers about herself? And it's about memory. Yeah. It's about memory and obsession and the things that we're willing to see and the things that... Right there's the poster. Blind ourselves to. Memory, us. obsession, and the things that we're willing to see. Like, like that's that. the fucking tagline on the book. write that down. Yeah. On the movie, is it going to be Sure. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence will be the star. Oh my of the god! Film. Did you read my blog? No, uh-uh. that's, that's who I cast in the role. Of well, I mean, who else are you going to cast? You know, like, she's like, I, for, this, for some reason, this woman in the book is like twenty-seven. She, yeah, she is exactly. Yeah. She is. And I mean, she could play younger for the yeah. flashback scenes. Sure, she could totally do younger. Um, sure. Although she's dating Chris, Mar- I shouldn't gossip. I'm gossiping. I'll stop. Um, but you know, it's funny because you know we do sort of have these moments of like. Oh yeah, like what if it were made into a movie? Yeah. But I did. I, I actually that was a question somebody gave me on my blog, and I cast her. Yeah, every time people talk about my book, they're like, "Robert Downey Jr. is going to play you," because yeah. it's like a it's like a recovering. I mean, like you it's a it's a it. nonfiction yeah. book about this. Like Method I'm like, action. it's really Clooney. Clooney's yeah. from around where I'm from. He's older than me, but nobody's going to give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like Downey's great. Awesome. I love him, but like I'm awesome. a Clooney dude because. Yeah. And I feel like you know. <laughs> Because Clooney, exactly. That should be like a hashtag, because Clooney. Because I'm all. Yeah. I'm saying her name. Um, My favorite headline, right? A famous international human rights lawyer marries actor. Marries actor. That's the best. That's the best. I'm like, anytime people. Right, right. right. Anytime people are like, yeah, Yeah. what's the problem? That's the problem. problem. (laughs) (laughs) The woman who speaks five languages married an actor. (laughs) (laughs) But he seems all right. Uh, He seems all right. And Jennifer Lawrence, I feel like, you know, she's done all these blockbusters. She yeah. might be looking for a little indie work. Uh-huh. And I would I would be so pleased with that. <laughs> yeah. So did we did, did we decide women's fiction or not? Is that a thing? Is it a thing? Because black fiction is... I think it's a thing, but I think it's made up. I think it's yeah. marketing. So how do we fix that? Hmm. How do we fix it? Yeah. That? I mean, like, this is the thing that I've been thinking about. Like, I because I, you know, I have students that are like, we don't need that. And I'm like, you don't until you try to sell a book. Yeah. Yeah. And then suddenly you realize keywords are important. Right. And so. I think that once you get into the business, too, and you start working with agents and editors and publishers right. and things like that, you, I don't want to use the term sell out, but you right. begin to see new perspectives. Pragmatically. You consider as the writer in yeah. your turret, right? Yeah. Um, I just remember Spike Lee when somebody somebody asked him one time. I grew up reading, like, Malcolm X. I have all Malcolm X's books and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was, like, very... As an Appalachian class was something that, like, I sort of inherently felt but didn't understand. Yeah. So I gravitated to a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff. And somebody asked Spike Lee, like, you know, do you make black films? And he was like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. Right. Like, right. to you, right. you know, because yeah. there's black people in it. Yeah. I like Spike Lee. I like his movies a lot. Yeah. And I, you know, I love the, the Pacers Knicks thing too. Yeah. But, um, but it's just like, it's one like, yeah, because there's black people in it. You think it's a black movie. Right. Right. <laughs> and that's a really limiting way to look at the world. And so yeah. when, if somebody were to say to me, oh, you write women's fiction, I would feel, um, 
even though I am a woman, yeah. I would feel very excluded from my own work because you're leaving out people I love, like, right. you know, my husband and sons right. and father and, and whoever it, else. Like, it's just... It assumes <laughs> an inability to be empathetic. This exactly. is, I think, ultimately exactly. that um, exactly. I was just telling somebody this last night. I don't know what it's like to be black in America. I don't know what it's like to be black anywhere. When I work with black students, <laughs> I'm always very clear. Like, I am, I can't tell you anything about what it means to be black. Right. As an Appalachian who worked in the technology industry who lived in California and MIT, worked at MIT, I did these. I can tell you what it feels like to walk into a room. Mm -hmm. And I had somebody tell me once I didn't have the pedigree to be there. To my face, the my word boss. Pedigree. What are you, a dog? This is a, this was my angry response. Yeah. Uh, this was my boss at MIT, not the boss I talked about before, but another boss. Mm -hmm. um, I understand what that means. People to say like, "Oh my god!" Like I had somebody tell me once, "I've never heard somebody with an accent like yours say smart things." <laughs> right. This is, and I'm like, so I understand a well-spoken black man. Like I understand why that's offensive. Right. Because yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. talked oh, about so my eloquent. yeah. Like what Which are you is, talking about? You know, like this isn't a, a magic. And so as an empathet, like with some, just a little bit of empathy, right? You can understand right. what that must be times, whatever that t times factor is, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like times everything. Mm -hmm. I get that. Um, as a writer, I think you have to do that, right? If yeah. you're going to write people that are anything other than you, sure. you have to have that empathetic. Them. Yeah. And that's like, they'll be flat characters. Right. That people just are about you in different yeah. You know, like, it's well, the secret you. Yeah. It's like you, you know. I think ultimately that's what offends me, right? Yeah. You know, like, well, you won't read a character about a woman. I'm like, ah, no. Yeah, like, I read books about men. I yeah. want to know what men are thinking. Come on. And as an empathetic person, as a writer, you should be able to say, like, this is not unlike this other thing. Right. Right. And if you can't, yeah. hopefully the writing helps you do that, right? right. Like, right. And I think that, I mean, you asked how we change this, how we fix it. And I think we. We're fixing it now. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I mean, it's about education. It's about yeah. um, action. You know, right. what what are you going to live? What are you going right. to teach? What are you going to show people? And how are you going to, I mean, really what this is all about, I think is Russell Banks. He said that writing poetry, it's all about, like, I'm mangling the quote. I'm such a mangler. I've written it down. <laughs> faking mangler. But it's about <laughs> faking mangler. <laughs> that's that's going to be my <laughs> That's your other tagline. Yeah. yeah. Whenever you write something you don't like, by faking mangler. Faking mangler. <laughs> yeah. But poetry is what teaches us how to be more human. Yeah. And I feel like that's what writing does. It yeah. teaches us it teaches us how to be more human and it teaches us what it means to be human. Yeah. And good writing, if you know, you're reading something that allows you to transcend your own class, culture, race, place and time, that's amazing. Right. That's an act of magic. And if you are able to be part of that, then welcome to humanity. Right. I think that's as good a place as any to end. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was so much fun. It was great. Thanks. Yeah. So that was it. That was my conversation with Sarah. That is uh, by far the longest downtown Riders Jam podcast that we've had so far. I kept looking down at the watch. And I wanted it to end, and then we'd move on to something else, and we just kept going. And the only reason it really ended was because she had to go teach, um, and I didn't want to keep her there all day long. Fascinating. Love talking to her. She is um, just wonderful, and I, I, that was the first time we've talked, and I have decided that uh, we will be best friends from now on. So that's going to happen. I'm going to try to get her to come down to the Downtown Riders Jam um, Volume 3 will happen sometime in February, maybe March. 
Don't forget the Downtown Writers Jam Volume 2, Wednesday, November 12th at Indy Reads Books. You can find out everything about the event at thegeekypress.com backslash events. You can sign up for our newsletter while you're there. You can like our page on Facebook. Follow the Geeky Press on Twitter. There's many, many ways to find out what we're doing, what's happening. Looking forward to seeing you out and talking to you again next time on the Downtown Riders Day Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.